Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. Listen, in a lot of this country, the barbecue debates are fierce and regional. Carolina style versus Texas, vinegar versus tomato, etc. But this is the Bay. And as a new KQED food series demonstrates here in our multicultural region, there are so many more delicious ways to take a huge chunk of meat and cook it for a very long time. Lechon, barbacoa, brisket, and many more. So today, we're joined by KQED food editor Luke Sai and friends to talk about the many types of Bay Area barbecue and the way these traditions bring us together as communities. We've got Penn Harshaw, Rocky Rivera, and Luke's dentist. All coming up next. Stay tuned. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Look, it's been a tough couple of weeks, and yet we've got this long weekend coming up. People will be coming together over coals and smokers, backyard pits. Some of them will deploy the smoky brisket methods of their grandparents from Arkansas or Texas before the Great Migration landed them here. Other communities will draw on their own traditions. Filipinos roasting whole pigs. Mongolians cooking lamb with hot stones in a pressure cooker suspended over a fire. Mexicans from the north making barbacoa in a stone-lined pit. Or if they're from the Yucatan, turning pork into cochinita bibiu. I love the idea of this new KQED series on barbecue in the Bay precisely because it highlights these incredibly distinct ways that our various peoples make our foods, but also that there are things we share no matter where we're from or how we like to cook. Luke Sai, with me here in the studio. You've done it again. Welcome back to the show. Thanks so much, Alexis. So I want you to set up this series a little bit. There are these famous barbecue cultures in Texas or North Carolina or wherever. Does the Bay Area have a barbecue culture. Yeah, I think, um, you know, this, the series sort of started in a very kind of simple way, which was like, you know, summer's here. Uh, people are thinking about barbecue. I had a couple of story ideas. Let's put together a series, you know. But then in thinking about it more, I kind of just started thinking about how over the years I have sort of developed a little bit of an inferiority complex um, around barbecue as a person who first grew up uh, in the New Jersey suburbs um, and then now lives in the Bay Area, neither of which are known for barbecue, at least in that sort of traditional sense that you're talking about. You know, we're talking about brisket, we're talking about ribs, we're talking about smoke rings, you know, these kinds of things. And so, you know, I had sort of just uh, become sort of, you know, I wrote about this in my introduction to the series. Um, all the stories you can check out at kqed.org uh, slash bbq. Um, but in the intro of the series, I talk about how, um, you know, as I thought more about the series, I thought, you know, maybe I've been thinking about this wrong, you know, because I too come from a barbecue culture in a different way, you know, and, and I thought about how when I was a kid, you know, in my backyard, 
Um, you know, whenever I had friends over, my dad would, you know, throw pork chops on the grill that uh, my mom had marinated in soy sauce and garlic. And we have, um, you know, peanut butter cold noodles that she'd make. And it was this sort of like very kind of uh, Chinese, Taiwanese, American sort of mishmash, you know. And I thought about when I was like living in Taiwan, you know, like friend coworkers would invite me out um, for barbecue and we'd like sort of sit on the stoop. Um, around a grill that was, like, set up over uh, uh, the rim of a tire, you know, and we'd, like, cook meat skewers over it, and it was delicious, you know. And so I just thought about in the Bay Area, you know, and you sort of set this up, um, we've got all these different uh, communities of people um, that are celebrating birthdays, graduations, uh, big festivals from their own particular culture, um, and oftentimes they're doing it, you know, outdoors in a park in their backyard with some big hunk of meat <laughs> uh, that they've <laughs> that they've grilled or that they've smoked or that they've slow roasted in some uh, interesting, very specifically technical way. Um, and I just thought, well, what if we did a series just to celebrate that variety? Um, and that was kind of how the series came to be. Before we talk about this incredibly specific technique that you learned from some Mongolian folks here in the Bay Area, we do want to hear from you in this show. What's your family's tradition of barbecuing, whether it's what I'm going to call American regional or Bay Area global? What's your tradition of barbecuing? And what's your most strongly held belief about barbecue? That's the other thing we want to hear from you. The number is 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, it's KQED Forum, or you can email your wrong or right opinions about barbecue to forum at kqed.org. Okay, so um, Luke, you're going to need to set this up because I think people are familiar with a thing called Mongolian barbecue, but that's not actually something Mongolian people do, right? Exactly. You know, so a lot of people have probably been to a Mongolian barbecue restaurant. Um, They have a lot of them sort of out in the suburbs. You know, they're really common, particularly kind of in the Midwestern United States. Um, These little uh, sort of strip mall chain restaurants, you go in, there's like a buffet line, you pick up all your meats and your vegetables. There's like different sauces that you can mix together. You hand it to the chef. Um, He throws it on the flat top uh, griddle. Um, sort of like a Japanese teppanyaki, um, grills it right there on the spot and hands it back to you. Um, and, you know, maybe rings a gong, <laughs> you know, to say that your order is ready. You know, and so I had, you know, as a kid, um, a handful of times, I'd gone to these types of restaurants and, you know, I didn't think about it too much in terms of whether or not this was Mongolian, because truth be told, I didn't have any Mongolian people in my life, you know. Um, And so it wasn't until many years later uh, when I was working as the restaurant critic for the East Bay Express um, that I uh, wrote about a Mongolian restaurant that opened in downtown Oakland at that time. Um, And that was sort of like the first time I like the thought occurred to me, like, wait a second, I've had something that was called Mongolian food, you know, Mongolian barbecue. But um, now I'm eating at this restaurant and this restaurant is really different. <laughs> like this, this is serving something that is completely different from that. And so, of course, I asked the chef when I talked to him. You know, like, is 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 Mongolian barbecue this this 
you know, real do people Mongolian do things. Right. Yeah. And, and of course he told me no, you know. And so then as I read up ab- ab- about it, you know, I learned that Mongolian barbecue was actually invented in Taiwan by a like Taiwanese comedian who wanted to start a chain of restaurants and um, came up with this kind of grilling style um, and initially wanted to call it Beijing barbecue. But because of politics in Taiwan at that time, he couldn't call it that. So he just called it Mongolian barbecue. And there was this whole mythology that was invented around it that Genghis Khan and his, <laughs> you know, s- soldiers would, um, you know, kill a bunch of animals like after battle and then, you know, basically cut them up. Bang a gong um, and yeah, serve it up. Yeah. Light a fire and cook the animals over their shields. And like all of this was nonsense, right? None of this was true. Um, and so, but it's just sort of been passed on and people don't really question it because again, a lot of people don't have Mongolian people that they know in their lives. Um, and so uh, this guy, Togi, um, who uh, sort of I just kept up contact with after that, told me, well, you know, there actually is this dish that we call Mongolian barbecue, and it's this dish called horhug. Um, and he Horhug. described it to me um, as basically this dish where you take a whole lamb or, or sheep, like mutton, you cut it up into big pieces, um, and then you put it into some sort of vessel, usually a, a pressure cooker um, is what they use these days. Um, and then you layer the meat with uh, hot rocks um, that you've gathered from a local river. Um, so that they're, they're like these smooth rocks because uh, those can withstand heat without breaking up. And you sort of have a layer of meat, a layer of rocks, a layer of meat, put in some vegetables. You seal the whole thing up, put it over a fire. Um, and cook it, and you open it up, and it's this amazing dish. And that's the real Mongolian barbecue. And after he told me this, this was like six years ago, I became obsessed with the idea of this dish because I just love that, like, like Mongolian barbecue. No, this is the real Mongolian barbecue. I just wanted to experience that. But there are so few Mongolian restaurants in the Bay Area. Um, and then uh, the ones that do... Um, uh, uh, serve Mongolian food. A lot of them don't offer this dish because it's like very Hard, elaborate. It fussy, takes yeah. many hours to prepare. It's not really well suited for a restaurant kitchen. Um, I saw it on a menu a couple of times, you know, at a place in San Francisco, um, but you have to sort of arrange it ahead of time, you know, and then that restaurant closed during COVID, you know, so it was sort of like hit and miss, like five or six years I've been trying to find this dish. And you were able to go with a family that makes this to a a regional park in Richmond. This is like the real way. They brought their pressure cooker. You're able to finally try this dish you've been hunting for years. And what was it like? Um, It it was amazing. So this is a restaurant actually in Richmond called uh, Dumpling House. It's a Mongolian restaurant. Um, So they serve Mongolian-style dumplings. They serve noodles, you know, all these. Like it's a very wheat-based cuisine. Um, but they have horhug. Uh, it's spelled K H O R K H O G. They have it on the menu, and you just have to tell them two or three hours in advance because they gotta like, I don't know exactly what they do in those two or three hours. Like they have to go buy a lamb, I guess, <laughs> and then <laughs> and cut it up and get it ready. Um, but um, they, uh, they they'll make it for you. And then so when I was talking about it with them. Um, Uh, They told me, well, you know, normally if it was just us and we were just doing it at home, we would just go to a park somewhere and do it. Um, And I just thought, well, 
I would like to do that with you, <laughs> you know, and they were great. I mean, they said, sure, just, you know, t- tell us like our restaurants closed on, on Monday. Just name a Monday and we'll bring you out there. And so we went to a wildcat Canyon Park out in the Richmond Hills uh, just on a, like a Monday morning it was like this cloudy sort of like, overcast day. Um, and it was this whole process where, you know, you, you gather, you have some charcoal, you light it. Um, obviously we didn't have stones from a local river, um, but you can get sort of a similar sort of thing at a garden store. Um, they heated up those rocks. Um, they had this like ancient battered, um, like looked like it must've been hundred years old pressure cooker, um, that he told me, um, was like originally used by the U S (laughs) military. Um, and so they, they sort of assembled this dish and it was this whole process and it was like very casual in a way, you know, it was like, all right, let's light the charcoal. You know, I think he lit the fire with like his cigarette lighter. Um, let's gather up some sticks and make this fire a little bigger, um, and they, you know, they, they just layered the dish, put it in the pressure cooker and let it go. And, um, I'll tell you when you, o- when they open, you know, there's this anticipation, right? Cause like we were building this dish and I had been waiting to eat this dish for six years, <laughs> literally. And so, uh, when you, if you look at the story, I, I sort of took a little video of that moment, right? When they lift up the lid, the sort of moment of truth. And you just smell that smell of the land. Like, it's not its not a very complicated seasoning. You know, it's just like salt, pepper, a little bit of garlic salt. Um, but you open up and it's that smell just hits you, just that pure lamb smell. Um, and I'll tell you, it was, it was delicious. So good. We're talking about KQED Foods' new series, Barbecue in the Bay, about the Bay Area's global traditions of cooking big hunks of meat. We're joined right now by KQED food editor Luke Sai, and we'd love to hear from you. What's your family's tradition of barbecuing? And what's your favorite barbecue spot here in the Bay? You can give us a call, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about KQED Foods' new series, BBQ in the Bay, about the Bay Area's global traditions of cooking meat. We're joined by KQED food editor Luke Sai, and we want to add Penn Darvis Harshaw, columnist with KQED Arts and host of KQED's Right Nowish podcast. Welcome back to the show, Penn. Hey, Alexis. How you doing? Hey, hey, good. Um, you have an incredible story, just such a wonderful, interesting look into the Bay in this series. Can you tell us about where the smokers get made? 
Where the smokers get made. Yeah. So I got the opportunity to talk to a person by the name of G Stacks. G Stacks is out of Vallejo originally, but he's based in Sassoon City. And he's the maker of grills, pits, trailers, and smokers um, that are custom made. They are one of a kind, unique, tailored to the individual who he's servicing. And he's done it for your everyday people, um, around the way people, as well as some major restaurants and some pretty big names in the entertainment industry as well. Tell us a little bit about his story, too. Yeah. So, again, he's from Vallejo. He had some uh, hiccups going through high school, got involved in the wrong side of the streets, if you will, and um, was in and out of uh, both youth uh, detention centers and adult prisons. And he while he was incarcerated, he learned to weld Well, he was introduced to welding. Um, and then around 21, 22, he uh, has some experiences in life that lead him to the church. Through the church, he finds out about um, Mandela, what is it? Mandela training. training. It's in West Oakland. Yeah. And exactly in West Oakland, originally in West Oakland. I believe it's moved actually recently. Um, but that's where he, he actually gets certified um, in welding and becomes a union member. And through working as a union member, he gets injured twice. And these are like lifelong scars and he gets compensated for it, but he also is left like just rendered just weak, weak and he can't work anymore. And so he, he goes fishing on the bay for three years straight trying to figure out his life. Um, and pushed by his ex-wife to get a job, he figures, you know what, I know how to weld. So I'll take some scrap metal that I can access easily and I'll build smokers and barbecue pits. And he built one for a lady who smokes turkeys out of Pittsburgh and from there, it kind of blew up on Craigslist, and Craigslist learned to uh, lean into getting in contact with some big names, as I mentioned earlier. So, like Warren G. Warren G. reaches out to him, a famed musician, creator of the G Funk, Snoop Dogg's cousin, um, reaches out to G Stacks and says, "Hey, can you make me a smoker?" And at that point, he realized he, you know, he has a business going, and yeah. so. Yeah, it's, it's an awesome story of redemption. I mean, one of the beautiful things about this story is it's kind of hiding in plain sight, right? Like somebody has to make all these smokers. And, you, you know, I guess I assumed that it was going to be, you know, your Webers or your sort of big, uh, big manufacturers of grilling equipment or something. Instead, it turns out that at least for some of these smokers, it's this one guy. How did you find this story? Yeah, again, hiding in plain sight. He's somebody who everybody knows. Like, as I've so, so he, the story came out yesterday. He posted it on his Instagram, and I'm looking at all the comments on his Instagram page. I'm like, these are people who I know. Everybody knows this guy. <laughs> this is crazy. Um, and again, hiding in plain sight. When I asked him about, you know, who he supplies, you know, what, what restaurants he works with, he just starts rattling off restaurants all around Northern California, listing them like like Bubba Gump did. Bubba Gump did in Forrest Gump. Um, and it's like, dude, you you work with everybody. You're all around here. And no one has written about this. This is a movie waiting to happen. Yeah. I mean, so tell us, let's talk a little bit about barbecue spots. Do you have favorite spots or, or, or places where you've got, you know, memories embedded in, in these barbecue restaurants? Yeah, I do. Because it's always more than just the food, right? Um, so the first stop that I would make is Roderick's Barbecue on 98th in East Oakland. Um, family friend, you know, person I've known since college days. Um, and really just appreciate the fact that it's that father-son uh, duo keeping barbecue alive and and really doing a lot for the community they do a lot of uh, community service as well um and then we're talking about oakland and barbecue so we have to talk about everton jones mm -hmm. and the history there the family legacy and like you know being there for uh, barack obama getting elected for the second time and that memory is etched in my head or conversations i had with Dwayne wiggins from tony tony tone at that barbecue <laughs> spot while he's talking about you know working with the young beyonce you know that type of thing yeah um, and so yeah there, there's a lot of them 
Luke's side, do you have of these kind of traditional, like what we think of as barbecue restaurants um, in the Bay Area? Do you have any favorites of those? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, I got to give a shout out to um, Matt Horn, who a lot of people have, have, have heard of. He's sort of like the new hot uh, barbecue chef. Um, but, he you know, he's based out of West Oakland um, in like a very famous location that, that used to be occupied by uh, Brown Sugar Kitchen. Um, and so he's taken that and turned it into a barbecue restaurant. He's won all kinds of accolades. Um, but I really appreciate him, you know, like, you know, many, many words have been written about him in the past year or two. Um, but his whole thing is like, um, if you look at the trendy barbecue uh, chefs that get a lot of press in the last 10 years or so, a lot of them are like white guys, you know, and, and that sort of like barbecue, at least in terms of like at the highest level, seems to have moved in that direction. And his whole thing is like, no, well, actually, like all this, like these these come from black southern traditions, you know, and, and he wanted to really um, bring respect back to that and bring uh, people's attention back to the fact that this is this, you know, hundreds years old craft um that has been practiced in in the black community um and his food is is needless to say delicious go on a weekend get the giant beef rib that he does that like wobbles like you know and you cut through it like butter it's delicious and the other place i want to shout out which is like kind of like particular to me like i don't think anybody else would have it on their best <laughs> barbecue list um just because it's not a super well-known place um but similar to penn it's just like because of my personal con um connection or feeling that i had about it uh was this place i wrote about years ago called burma bear um i think it still operates in in downtown oakland but just sort of only like a few days a week just take out during lunchtime um but the concept behind this restaurant is i'm gonna serve it's a burmese chef I'm going to serve Burmese food, um, uh, but with American-style barbecue. So it's like you can, you can get your brisket, you can get your ribs, but the side dishes are going to be like garlic noodles or tea leaf salad. You know, and so I sat down the first time I ate there. I, I got like some brisket. I got some garlic noodles, and I was like, man, this is just like – the cookouts that I had when I was, I was about a kid. To say, back in Jersey. You know, this this is like <laughs> this is how we grew up. Like this is this is like to me like that's that's America. You know, that that's like the best part of fusing together these different traditions and kind of creating your own barbecue yeah. culture. Just want to shout out to, you know, uh, Penn was talking about Everton Jones. If you Google the barbecue legacy of West Oakland's historic 7th Street, Everton Jones has a, uh, an amazing article actually on their website kind of laying out this really deep history that occurred when a lot of uh, black Southerners came up and uh, ended up opening restaurants on 7th Street. So take a look at that. Um, Penn Darvis Harshaw, always, always so good to have you on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me, Luke. Thank you for the series. Um, happy Friday Eve, y'all. Go get some barbecue. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> Thanks Penn. Penn. We'll talk to you later. Let's bring in uh, Rebecca from San Francisco. Hey, Rebecca, can you hear us? Hey, Rebecca. Oh, yes? You're on the air. Oh, hi. Hello. Well, yeah. hi. Uh, so, yeah, I just wanted to comment. I am married to an Australian. We've lived in San Francisco for 20 years. And when, first of all, I have to clear the air that they do not say shrimp on the shrimp. barbecue. Oh, I knew you were going to 
(laughs) (laughs) Because they actually don't call it shrimp. They call them prawns. So that's, you know... Yeah, I, I, think I feel like we're just myth busting. There's no mo- such thing as Mongolian barbecue, at least as people consider it. And Australians don't say throw some shrimp on the barbie. Okay, what is the so, real yeah, tradition they do then? Say barbie though, and yeah. the barbie is a huge part of their culture. And um, so what we do, and we have three kids, and so I really, when you said like what resonates with you about like the barbecue and how how does that like how do you define barbecue? I mean, for me, like. The barbecue is the most simple thing to pull up. And I feel like we can have company over, like, super quickly. I don't have to plan super far ahead. And what we do is lamb. Lamb chops on the barbie. It's always a crowd pleaser. Very Australian. Um, I have, you have to get Aussie lamb. Don't get the New Zealand stuff. <laughs> I may have been brainwashed on that. But I do think it's fresher. Like, they have a better connection. That's, that's just my... Uh, <laughs> yeah, so- may have been brainwashed by my husband, but... But yeah, just like lamb chops on the barbie, and you can always just have a party, and everybody is just like, "Wow, lamb! This is so good!" Like, we don't do this, and you know, it's just not not something that most Americans think about. And now it's not the Mongolian, the one that you described, the like amazing lamb, but you know, just salt and pepper, maybe some rosemary, just like lamb chops on the barbie. You can't go wrong, and I feel like we can just we can have a party, you know, we yeah. can host people, and we're so busy. And barbecues just bring bring people together in a way that is not intimidating for me to like, oh, my gosh, I have to throw a dinner party. And what am I going to make? And, oh, you know, looking up recipes and nope, just yeah. lamb chops on the barbecue. Everyone's happy. Thank you so <laughs> much for uh, sharing that, Rebecca. No, I mean, I, that is, I think, one of the, the conceits of this series is that the, the barbecue puts people in a certain mode. Um, let's, uh, bring in, um, there's a very unusual guest for us. This, uh, Ray Castro is an amateur barbecue competitor and a cartoonist who has an amazing comic in this new KQED, um, food series. But Ray Castro also happens to be Luke's dentist. (laughs) So Luke, uh, Ray Castro, first of all, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Um, Luke, I do want to ask how you found out your dentist was an amateur barbecue champion. <laughs> well, you know, just to, to so Ray is 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 really one of my favorite people, and I don't I don't know if it's you know uh, okay on air to reveal too much personal information about like my oral hygiene, but <laughs> but um you know I had gone for for various reasons, mostly just because of my own personal fear of dentistry. Uh, I went for like 10 years without going to the dentist, right? And so my like teeth and my gums were just like in horrible shape. And I was like, all my teeth are going to fall out. I need to like be an adult and do something about it. So I, I, like I went on online and I Googled, you know, what is a dentist that will be nice to me, even though I haven't been to the dentist <laughs> for 10 years. And Ray Castro. You mean enable you? Enable you, Luke? <laughs> and then Ray Castro was like the first name that popped up on Yelp because someone had written a review exactly in those words. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to go to Ray Castro because he'll still be nice to me. Um, and so he went. He he is a, a great dentist, you know, um, just like all he does is compliment me on how, how much how much better I've gotten at flossing, you know, since I start, first started going to see him. Um, 
But he found out um, briefly, you know, through some mutual connections that we have, uh, he found out that I was a food writer um, and he loves food. And so we would just, you know, it was great. I would go in, he'd like work on my mouth for an hour and the whole time, like we just talk about restaurants and we talk about food. And so then shortly after that, I found out um, that he's really into barbecue. Yeah. And if you are his, you know, I don't know if I should reveal this because it might put Ray in a bad <laughs> spot with uh, some of his clients. But, you know, if you are his uh, client and you're like one of his special clients, um, you sometimes <laughs> get some barbecue. Like he makes bar- he makes barbecue all the time, and once in a while you just get a surprise where he just texts you like randomly on a Saturday afternoon and is like, "Luke, I just made some barbecue. Would you like some?" <laughs> and he shows up at my house with like like with like side dishes and everything um, for me to eat. So like that was when I was like, "Okay, this is the best dentist ever." If Ray ever retires or moves, I'm probably never going to see a dentist again. (laughs) Um, And then I found out that he did comics. So I was like, I'm doing this barbecue series. Ray, you got to do a comic for it. Ray Castro, tell us how you got into barbecuing and what your specialty is. Sure. Um, I just want to preface this. I'm not very good at public speaking. As a a dentist, usually my hands have to be in your mouth before I feel comfortable talking (laughs) to you. We'll (laughs) pretend. We'll pretend, Ray. Okay. But um, as far as getting into barbecue itself, you know, uh, I don't know if you could tell by my my name, but I grew up Filipino-American. I still am Filipino-American, but I grew up it too. And, uh, you know, barbecue for us was always... An excuse to have a big group gathering, just like you guys were talking earlier. Um, but it's also a lot of uh, grilled meat with um, banana ketchup on it. And there would be like some goopy bits, some burnt bits. Uh, that was my experience growing up. It goes great with rice, but by itself, it can be a little intense. And then eventually, you know, my, my hobby used to be running half marathons. If, um, but, you know, when you compete in those, the best I ever did was 1,862nd place. But in... Uh, <laughs> You and me both, in, Ray. You and yeah, me both. But in, yeah. But in barbecue competition, you know, transitioning to that, learning how different techniques, best practices, putting some of my science background into it, 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 it became really, you know, something that I thought, man, I'm getting pretty good at this. And you get into a competition, you know, the lot since I did that comic, since I did that competition, I've I've placed every time since then in my past three. I've gone this two weeks ago in Martinez. I got first place two times in uh, the King of the County. So it's uh, it's been fun and it's a lot of high expectations for myself. (laughs) So we need your as far as I understand it from the comic ribs are really the thing you like to make the most. What is the most important tip that you have for people who are making ribs? The most important tip, I would say. Oh man. So there's, there ribs have been around since forever, right? It's like the part of the meat that, <laughs> that people would normally throw away. But, uh, you know, if you grew up in a place that got colonized, you ate that. And so as far as cooking the ribs, the main thing is take your time, like, uh, and, and leave the lid closed. Every time you open a, the lid of your smoker, every time you open your oven, it takes 15 minutes for that cooker to get back to its cooking temperature. So you're really removing time from your cook. And if you're, whether you're competing or just trying to feed your family, uh, the saying in barbecue is, if you're looking, you ain't cooking. So that's my key <laughs> thing is don't open the thing. Um, that is a great tip, Ray Castro. We are keeping Ray uh, for the rest of the hour. So if you do have questions, 
about barbecue, we have an, uh, a local champion that you uh, can can ask those to. Uh, you can give us a call, 866-733-6786. We also still are looking for some more of those family traditions of barbecuing, particularly if they're a little bit unusual. Again, the number's 866-733-6786. You can get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram for KQED Forum, or you can email to forum at kqed.org. Of course, we're joined by KQED food editor Luke Sai and Luke's dentist and an amateur barbecue champion, Ray Castro. Um, a lot of, lot of comments uh, coming in. One on meatless barbecue, of course. This is the Bay Area. Um, Norm tweets, go vegan. Uh, Catherine writes, I'd like to expand everyone's view of barbecue. It doesn't have to include meat. We are vegetarian and have become very accustomed to grilling just about every vegetable, realizing how much the grill brings out the natural flavors and sweetness of fresh, high-quality vegetables from local farmers' markets. With a grill basket, you can do just about everything. We love to grill pizzas, too. The best part is that the leftovers are perfect for tossing in pasta or used for taco filling. It might not follow a historical or regional tradition, but it's very real, healthy, and most of all, delicious. Um, another listener, uh, writes, uh, just some opinions. The person bringing cold fried chicken knows what's up. Um, another wrong opinion. Baked beans are never worth it. That was Tim tweeting there. Um, and we have another listener who says, I moved to California as an adult and was introduced to tri-tip by my husband. It's so good and feels like a very California style barbecue standard. That's true, right? Tri-tip is considered that? It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, we are talking about KQED's latest food series, Barbecue in the Bay, about the Bay Area's global traditions of cooking hunks of meat. Again, joined by Luke Sai and Ray Castro, an amateur barbecue competitor. Stay with us over the break. Just pick him and pluck him and bring him to me. Chicken back. That's all I want. Chicken back. That's all I want. Chicken back. That's all I want. The chicken is all I want. I don't want no breast delivered or wings. I don't like the gizzard or none of them things. I sleep on feathers. Don't that make sense? I even like the last part over the fence. Bring me some chicken back. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Starter, a pack an hour later, 
listening to 40 water yo i was just a shorty on a mission just to fit and paid attention to the language and the lyrics learning english it was an introduction to a culture i adore since i came to san francisco at the tender age of four i was learning all my lessons through the music pardon if my tongue gets twisted i'm splitting it so then i sacrifice welcome back to forum i'm alexis madrigal you were just listening to a little music from our next guest rocky rivera she's an mc and a writer and she wrote about lechon as part of kqed's New series, Barbecue in the Bay. Welcome to the show, Rocky. Thank you so much for having me. So I would love to hear a little bit more about Lechon. Like what, for people who haven't had it, what, what is it? How's it prepared? Well, Lechon is basically a whole roasted pig, and it is the most known dish. Anthony Bourdain made it famous in his no reservations episode of season five when he went all the way to Cebu and actually got to eat it Cebu style where lechon originated. And um, not a lot of people do whole pig barbecue anymore, especially after the pandemic. So this was a very challenging story to write, actually. Because you were trying to find a place that would do, that was still doing this and you could go write about what it tasted like and looked like. Yeah, so most most Filipinos, when they come to a party, the lechon is already there. It's probably ordered from uh, an industrial kitchen. It's already portioned. And a lot of Filipinos don't ask, where did the pig come from? Who cooked it? Because back home in the Philippines, it was more rural style where, you know, it would be close to the farm. You would choose the pig. That's a memory that I shared as far mm. as having a lechon growing up um, uh, I was born in the Philippines, like I mentioned in my song. And so it really is a bridge between the traditional and the moderate. And I was able to find a roaster in Concord, California, who just started roasting lechon 10 years ago to compete with the other Asian grocers that were taking over the area. So it's actually, it's a age old tradition for us, but people are finding modern ways to do it, especially since it requires a gathering, which we haven't been able to do for a long time. Yeah. I also love that this bridge that you're describing is from like literally your grandparents' house when you were 15 years old. And the other end of the bridge is like in a strip mall in Concord at a place called Oriental Food Market. It's just a it's just a beautiful piece of the way that you constructed this story. And can you tell us about sort of when it's served, like how does it come? It literally comes as just the, the whole pig is like right there with like crispy skin or you mentioned it can be portioned out. Like what does it look like? Oh, it's... Yeah, it's, it's the whole pig. It's you're staring eye to eye with it. It's the centerpiece of any fiesta that is worth going to. And usually it's already, um, the skin is already divided. The meat is already put aside um, in portions because obviously it's whole, so you can't cut it right then and there. But somebody, whoever brings it, takes the care to portion it out so that you're able to take a piece of it um, with the rest of the buffet that's on the table. So a lot of people don't question where it comes from. And I think this was really interesting for us to actually see it being taken off this bit and following it to the party afterwards. So when I tweeted about this series, I I mentioned Lechon and uh, somebody, uh, Rye Bombeck is, is her name on Twitter, responded, Lechon sauce is not good and it ruins a plate. A decent lechon shouldn't need it. Spicy palm vinegar is the acceptable condiment. First, tell us what <laughs> lechon sauce is, and is that a bad or a good opinion? Oh, well, she must have been Cebuano. She must have been from Cebu because Manila style always uses the lechon sauce, and we know it as mantomas. It comes in a yellow bottle. 
it's sweet like every other sauce that Filipinos like to put on their meat. And that is really indicative of Manila style lechon where they don't season it as much with uh, lemongrass and stuff it with herbs like they do in Cebu, but they rely on the lechon sauce. So like all Filipino food, it depends on the region you're from. Um, in Cebu, they, they use it with tiltilan, which is the vinegar uh, to not uh, compete with the herbs that are already baked or roasted within the lechon, but Manila style, Oh, you can't you can't eat a lechon without a Mang Tomas bottle, or in this case, uh, a homemade liver-based mm. um, sauce that uses all of the pig. So the whole point is is that we use the entire pig. So that's where the sauce would come from is all the liver um, and and seasonings that come with it. So like I said, she must be from Cebu if she <laughs> says that, <laughs> because it is very re regional the way we all defend our style of not just cooking lechon, but cooking Filipino food in yeah. general. Um, before we let you go, how about a barbecue place drawn from, you know, any any of the world's traditions? Um, you got any favorite recommendations for us? Oh, yes. Well, first and foremost, the people who taught me about Phil and barbecue, which is highly contested, are my good friends down in L.A. at the park's finest barbecue. They have this most amazing cornbread bibinka. It is a mashup of uh, traditional babinka from the Philippines, which has kind of like the rice flour, the chewy rice flour, but also marries it with a cornbread. And that is, for me, the best fill and barbecue. But in the Bay, of course, you got to give it up to Matt Horn and Horn Barbecue out in West Oakland. And um, actually, I discovered a barbecue place called Smokin' Woods that was really, that really held me over over the pandemic. And I ordered it online and if it comes to your house as good as it was off the barbecue then you know it's good so i really do like smoking with barbecue as well oh thank you so much rocky rivera for the story and for your music um and for joining us here today rocky rivera wrote about lechon as part of kqd's barbecue in the bay series thank you so much thanks rocky um we i want to get to some calls we're coming up we only 12 minutes left in the hour here uh so let's get to jewels in Novato. Hey there. Hey, Jules. Yeah, um, the, the strongest association I have with barbecue is, is actually with my dad and Thanksgiving because uh, he does a barbecue turkey, and it, it's just amazing. And, and how does he do it? He puts the whole thing on the grill? It, yeah, it's on a Weber, and you split the coals and put a drip pan in the middle, um, and then it cooks like 11, 12 minutes per pound. You can do like a 20, 25-pound turkey if you want. Oh, wow. Do you still do it or not anymore? Oh, yeah. Every year we do it uh, pretty much. And it's like the only time I'm sending him pictures of, you know, a brown turkey. <laughs> it's funny. That's, and I mean, you know, turkey, I feel like, has been dissed a lot in uh, recent years as sort of a uh, a, a bad um, food gets dry and all these things. How does it turn out on the grill? Does, it, does that happen to it, too? Yeah. I mean, I've actually never cooked a turkey any other way, and I only do it once a year. But but um it's, I've heard it's much more moist, and it gets like a smoky, it's really dark brown, so the skin can get crispy, um, but then it's moist and it's got a little smoke flavor on the inside. So, And it also cooks faster, So, it's, and it's super easy to do. Yeah. It's like it's delicious. Thank you so much, Jules uh, Nevado, for sharing that with us. Um, we've got some um, cooking questions for Ray Castro here. Um, let's start with David in Oakland. Welcome, David. Hey, good morning. 
Good morning, David. What's your question? I have a question. Yeah. I made some ribs a couple days ago, and I think I might have marinated them in the fridge too long because of kids and timing and dinner plans. I bought them on Friday. I started marinating them on Sunday, and I didn't get to cook them till Tuesday night. So and, if you got and the what happened? In your head. Yeah, what happened, though? It's, uh... So I, I didn't have any apple juice at the time, so I marinated them with grapefruit juice. That's a thing you and can do. And then I also put some, <laughs> I also put some apple juice in there. I dry rubbed them, um, but they had like a smell that wasn't great. <laughs> kind of like a funky smell when they were done. But the flavor was awesome. They tasted great, That's and we right. ate them and everything. But yeah. maybe was it because I they were kind of just in the fridge too long? That's, That's so, yeah. No, David in Oakland, thank you so much for that call. Ray Castro, can you eat old food is the question. No, I'm just kidding. Um, is there a limit to how long you can marinate ribs is the question, Ray. So um, that's, that is a great question. The question I was going to ask our caller was, you know, if there was any salt in the in the marinade, because salt is a preservative, right? You, we've been using it uh, for our entire civilization to preserve food. So if you add salt in there, it might have made it less bad. Um, that said, cooking is also a method uh, to kill germs. And so that's probably why your family's still alive. And uh, <laughs> I would recommend... Uh, in the future, yeah, just uh, time, uh, figuring out a better time. It's basically overnight. If if you're going to marinate, right, overnight is kind of the, overnight, the optimal and if time. You re- and if you realize you can't cook it, just throw it in the freezer and you can let it thaw later. You'll just stop the process. Yeah. Um, let's bring in Adam from San Diego with another call. Hey, Adam. Hey, good morning. Uh, question. A few years ago, my ex-brother-in-law made me aware of a cooking method for ribs uh, pork ribs specifically was to cook them in a glass pan, a glass container in the oven in vinegar for about an hour and then just flash it on the grill for about five minutes to finish. And that's where you put your whatever sauce you're going to apply is just for that last five mm-hmm. minutes on the grill. And they were super tender, super tasty. Uh, and I'm wondering what Ray thinks about that method. And thanks a lot. I, I can tell you I did that last night in honor of the show, and it was delicious. Um, but what do you think, Ray? Yeah, so the technique you guys just described, uh, I call them oven ribs. And before I ever got into smoking, I would do ribs for parties that way. I'd finish them on a grill to give them a nice little char flavor. I didn't have the techniques or the, the machinery available to do a longer cook. But the reason it works so quickly is because acid breaks down proteins along with heat, makes it go faster. And uh, and reason it tastes good is because acid and pork tend to go well together. And so, yeah, it's a great technique um, for oven ribs. Actually, I'd recommend look up uh, Cook's Illustrated, America's Test Kitchen uh, recipe for, for oven ribs. That's the one that I always go to if, I, if I'm not going to be making a bunch of fire in the backyard. There you go. And is, you know, smoking seems to be sort of the pro's choice for a lot of these things. Why, why is that? As far as smoking? So... The thing that you don't get when you do it in the oven is uh, smoke flavor. And I know that you can uh, buy liquid smoke, you know, put drops of it in a tray, add a smoke flavor. But one thing that you do lack when you uh, when you do cook in the oven, especially if it's going to be covered, is uh, a nice crusty bark and then a soft inner portion of flesh that you just bite into. And so um, when you cook over a long period of time with low heat, um, what what happens over time, the exterior, the natural sugars that's in the meat, the sugars that are in your rub, if you put a little sugar, they uh, caramelize. And this reaction is called the Maillard reaction. 
And this is what makes steaks taste fantastic uh, when you have a nice crust on it. This is what makes like pastries when you have creme brulee taste really good. It like brings out additional amino acids that weren't available. Um, so uh, different from steam, I mean, steaming school, everything, but uh, <laughs> when you do a low and slow cook, you don't, you don't burn it, but you do still have that nice Maillard reaction, that, which yeah. creates the bark. Um, Luke, want to come to you with a commenter's question. So it's an interesting question. Jonathan writes, I grew up in the South and always associated barbecue uh, as a rural cuisine, part of culture and community with less economic opportunity. We were using cuts of meat that were not the best, but if cooked the right way, low and slow, the results were no less than amazing. Here in the Bay Area, I become outraged at the price of barbecue using high-end grades like Wagyu that are simply offensive and fail to respect the history and accessibility of barbecue as a meat for the masses for the cultures that develop them. How do you feel about barbecue presented this, quote, elevated way? And what have you learned about different regional styles of barbecue in regards to traditions built around socioeconomic class? Yeah, well, you know, I think... Ray can probably also respond to the Wagyu part of it because he alluded to that a little <laughs> bit in his comic. Um, but yeah, I think I think that's a valid um, and really great point. You know, I think, and I think it's not specific even just to barbecue. I think this is just something that happens uh, in fine dining um, or just you know when chefs decide to make foods chefy. You know, and 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 need to you know, and they're they're opening a restaurant, they're paying rent. And they need to justify charging a certain price, you know. And I think in general, um, I'm not too much into complaining about how much restaurants charge because I know the margins of most restaurants is so low, and you know they're they're charging what they need to charge to be able to make rent and also pay their employees hopefully a, a decent living wage, right? Um, but I do think you know the stuff that that the that the uh, commenter is writing about about like taking just like super luxurious cuts of meat um, does sort of go against a lot of these traditions, not just in barbecue, but there's a lot of foods like that, right? Like a lot of stews, you know, a lot of soups, you know, the origins of those dishes were like, hey, let's let's like take this thing that would otherwise go to waste and let's just through our love and through our skill turn into something delicious, right? So when you're starting already with the most expensive cut of meat, um, it's not really necessary to, to <laughs> right. do that anymore. Like yeah. if you got a Wagyu steak, you know, just cook it as a steak and just just eat it. It's going to yeah. be delicious, right? Yeah. Um, let's get uh, one last caller in here. Uh, Kane in San Francisco. Welcome to the show. Hi, how's it going? Hey, good, good. You have some other suggestions for us. Yeah, um, I just wanted to make a pitch for Northern Chinese uh, style barbecue. It's, it's really good. It's small skewers based. Uh, it's like a Middle Eastern Chinese fusion because it's all the diffusion around the silk trading route. Um, Cupertino has two good places I know of, one called TLT, the other called Barbecue Chef Yang. Uh, and it's really funny because my northern Chinese friend got an argument with my Persian friend because uh, northern Chinese barbecue, small skewers, you order about like 20 of them. Uh, and my Persian friend was doing Persian-style barbecue. He asked my Chinese friend, how many skewers do you want? My friend said 20. The Persian guy, where, you know, their skewers are one or two per meal, thought he was being messed with and they got in an argument. Uh, before we sorted out the issue with the skewer size difference. 
That's so, I, I love that. Kane, thank you uh, so much, both the commonality and the difference. Uh, that is the, the essence of this, uh, of this series here uh, at KQD Food. Um, I want to bring in one last caller real quick. Jose in San Francisco. Welcome, Jose. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Uh, I just wanted to add on to the comments about the lechon. I am from Puerto Rico originally, and we have our own version of lechon, which is uh, very, it's a staple in Christmas celebrations. And I have these vivid memories of one of my uncles just grabbing it from his hobby farm and preparing it, marinating overnight, and then just cooking it over fire or charcoal briquettes for about five to six hours. And then as little kids, we would, you know, fight who got the crispy ears and the crispy tail uh, <laughs> as it was being divided up for, for the Christmas dinner. So uh, That's brilliant. Thank you so much for sharing that with us, Jose. That um, also does sound delicious, even the ear part. Um, uh, Luke, almost all of the pieces in this series have been published, but there's one that I'm really excited about coming tomorrow, which is about the hunt for barbacoa, right? Yeah, that's Alan Cesaro, who's a, a staff writer with us, um, and he's writing about that uh, tradition of, you know, cooking, uh, you know, a goat uh, in a pit, you know, and it just goes all the way back to indigenous traditions in the Caribbean and also in Mexico. Um, and he went for a hunt to find the sort of people who were doing it that traditional way in the Bay Area. And like many delicious things, the hunt often ends in Richmond, <laughs> which is also <laughs> where I live. Um, but, I, you know, it's going to be a great story. And I just want to say, you know, with a lot of these stories, you know, it's not just about the food. Right. And I think, you know, the food, you know, is delicious. Right. But I think what's so important, you know, with that Mongolian barbecue story that I wrote is just like, why have I never heard of this? You know, and why is the only thing that I've heard of this other Mongolian barbecue that's like the fake Mongolian barbecue? You know, and why has this culture sort of been erased, you know, and like we don't know about it? And so my hope from people reading these stories is not just like, oh, yeah, we'll get some good ideas for some tasty things that we can eat or maybe even try to make ourselves. Um, but also, like, let's just recognize, like, all the amazing diverse cultures that we have in the Bay Area. We've been talking all about barbecue and KQED Foods' new series, BBQ in the Bay, about the Bay Area's global traditions of cooking hunks of meat. Earlier in the hour, we were joined by Penn Harshaw, columnist with KQED Arts and host of KQED's Right Nowish podcast, Rocky Rivera, MC and writer. Here in the studio with me, Luke Sai, KQED food editor. Thanks so much, Luke. Thank you, Alexis. And amateur barbecue champion and Luke's dentist, Ray Castro, on the phone. Thanks so much for answering our questions. Hey, you got it. Check out the series, BBQ in the Bay, on KQED's website. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour of Form Ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising-Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.